This program is brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. We're here to present the EFC Network Podcast. The Environmental Finance Center Network is a partnership of 12 centers serving 10 EPA regions. The EFCN provides training and technical assistance to small water and wastewater systems. This podcast series has been designed to help system personnel improve technical, managerial, and financial capacity of the utilities and communities they serve. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Kristen Crew, and I am a program associate at the Syracuse University Environmental Finance Center. In today's episode, we will dive into the pressing issue of the lack of diversity in the water sector. We will discuss the significance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, and we will also touch on conflict resolution and equip you with the necessary tools and knowledge to handle workplace conflicts effectively. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll go ahead and get started. Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, DEI, has roots in our country from the 1960s with the Civil Rights Movement. In recent times, there has been a surge in DEI committees, trainings, and implementation into workplace practices. Like every valuable movement, there is going to be a learning curve to successful execution, so there will be a long-lasting foundational change. Despite sweeping changes across the country, the water workforce still lacks diversity. Shockingly, data from the Census Bureau reveals that over 94% of water and wastewater treatment plant and system operators are men, and over 75% of the demographic is white. These statistics underscore the importance of continuing conversations on and around the movement towards more diverse, equitable, and inclusive environments. With that being said, Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Dr. Mercy Umeri. Dr. Umeri is a, an assistant teaching professor and faculty coordinator at the Wichita State University Hugo Wall School of Public Affairs. She has her doctorate in educational leadership. She also has a background in public policy and humanities. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, Dr. Umeri. We are thrilled to have you on. Thank you for having me. I am happy to be here. I would love to start off by getting to know a little bit more about you. Um, In particular, maybe you could share pieces of your journey, which has gotten you to this point of having a deep understanding of the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Okay, thank you very much. Um, This is like trying to tell my life story in a few minutes, but I'm going to try. As you already heard, my name is Dr. Messi Umeri. Um, I grew up um, in Nigeria grew up in a home with very limited resources. So I know firsthand what it means to not have. And I'm not just talking about money, but, you know, not having resources and not having um, um, opportunities in life. And so I, I also grew up to know that, you know, no matter how smart and intelligent you are, if you do not have access, access to opportunities or access to some of these resources, then you know you just continue to perpetuate this cycle of poverty. And so for me, this informed the kind of work I did coming out of college. I started initiatives to provide literacy services to you know undeserving communities. 
um, started initiatives to, con to start empowering women who were just starting out in their businesses and who didn't have any form of finance or how to, you know, even bankroll their businesses or even how to get um, loans um, from banks. And so doing those work, I also, back to what I was saying, knowing that the system, the systems are not equal. It's not just in the US, it's everywhere. And so it's important first that we recognize that the system is not equal. This continue to inform, you know, the work that I continue to do. I worked with a nonprofit organization in Nigeria also where you know, they provided resources for minoritized populations, especially women and children who were out of school. And today I am in the U.S. as a professor and continue to do the work. You know, I started doing this work well before I even got to know what name it was called, whether it was called social equity, whether it was called diversity, equity and inclusion. I already started doing this work. And so now that I'm in the U.S. as a professor, um, I have the opportunity to continue to talk about these things and to continue to train um, our managers. So in the Hugo World School, this is a master's program where we train, you know, um, entry level, middle level managers who are interested in working in the public sector and nonprofit organization. So this is a good fit where we can marry theory and practice to say, yes, we need to have conversations about these things. We need to talk about these things. But most importantly, we need to begin to look for ways to implement this thing. So that's like a short um, summary for how I started to where I am today. And I tell you, this work is important. It is relevant um, because just, just talking about it will not do the work. We have to be intentional about what we do about DEI. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, hearing bits of someone's personal or professional journey is always such a gift. And it does truly help unlock a better understanding of the information that one is hearing and processing. Yeah. Um, I actually took some time and listened to your TED talk, which I was very inspired yeah. by. Yeah, so to all the listeners, I'd like to give a shout out um, to Dr. Mercy Umeri's TED talk. It's really amazing. You have a great story. It's very inspiring. Oh, um, thank you, Chris. Yeah. You did that, you did this behind my back. I, I did, I did, I did my research. But you made such beautiful points about accessibility and giving people a voice with intention. Um, and so to kind of to take it back to the water sector, the statistics that I had mentioned earlier, 94% of water and wastewater treatment plant and system operators are men, over 75% of the demographic being white. Obviously, the water workforce is clearly lacking in diversity. What is the importance of diversity in the workplace? The importance of diversity in the workplace cannot be overemphasized. So when we talk about diversity, I want to you know, stay in the context of the workplace, right? Because we can go in 1,000 directions, right? But let's talk about the workplace. So diversity in the workplace is working with people from a diverse background. And when I talk about um, you know, a diverse background, I'm talking about in terms of ideologies, people with different perspectives, people from different socioeconomic status, 
race and gender, you see, I intentionally didn't start with race and gender because when you talk about diversity, that is where, you know, we want to stay and get boxed in, you know, it is much more than that. I am not downplaying that, but I'm also saying that there is a wide range, especially when we talk about in the context of the workplace. So we're talking about, you know, people from different race, gender, sexual orientation, religious affiliations, nationalities, differently abled people. So people living with disabilities, people of different age groups, you know, we're talking today, we talk about different generations in the workplace. And we're talking about people from different social and ethnic backgrounds. And this list is not even exhaustive. So it, it, it just gives you an idea of at a particular time, these are the sets of people that we can find in the workplace. So when I talk about workplace diversity, I want to be able to come into a workplace and see everything that I have talked about here. So from the statistics that you just gave, it shows me I don't even need a crystal ball gazer to tell me there is no diversity because we uh, look at the demographics, number one, then also look at the other items of diversity that we have talked about. So diversity for me in the workplace is important because when you bring people with different skill set, different competences, you're going to get more out in terms of productivity and efficiency than if it was just um, a homogeneous group of people. Absolutely. You make um, such beautiful points. And I think for a lot of us, we do just automatically think of race or sex as what defines diversity, but it is diversity is somewhat infinite. When you think of all the different people with their experiences and what makes them them. And I also couldn't agree with you more. Diversity strengthens results and enhances creativity. So this is a fantastic segue into my next question. I was wondering in your opinion, when it comes to workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion, can any of those words hold much weight without the other two? No, no, it cannot. So like I just explained um, diversity now, you know, we're talking about working with this different group of people, diverse people from different backgrounds and orientations and all of that. But what do we do with that, right? Is it enough to just have different people working with us? No, it's not enough. Let's look at the next leg of it, equity. I talked about the importance of you know, giving people access, giving people resources, opportunities. So when we talk about equity, we're talking about fairness. You know, equity is not perfection, right? Equity is not, <laughs> equity is not even fulfilling all of everyone's needs. Equity is about fairness, right? The quality of being fair and impartial. So if I am providing these resources for this group of people, am I being fair in the way I am providing the resources to this next set of people? That's one leg. Then let's talk about inclusion. You know, because what organizations would do, like, oh, yes, we have a different set of people. Compliance, right? We've ticked the box. We have one Black person. We have one Asian person. We have, you know, we make ourselves feel good, right? When we tick that box. But the next set, equity, what are we doing? Are we ensuring that everybody feels like they need or they have what they need to succeed? 
then we talk about inclusion. Inclusion is a deliberate action to bring people on the table. You have to be intentional about bringing people on the table because what we've seen over time is, yes, we you, you said we didn't have um, diversity, so we employed two black people. But those two black people you, you employed, have you brought them in to be able to make decisions that concerns them? Or they're just there to tick your box, but you're not including them in the decision-making process in the organization, okay? So this also comes to the way we even design our policies. We have to be intentional in the way that we're designing our policies, where apart from giving equal access to people, right, we're also bringing them in on the decision-making table because that's where it matters most. You can be making decisions for people you do not understand their background. And so that's why we need to bring all these people on the table. And I would say here that sometimes, you know, when we think about diversity, one of the groups of people that we usually miss out are people who are living with physical and mental and um, intellectual disabilities. How are we ensuring that their voices are being heard? So you cannot talk about diversity without <laughs> creating a fair atmosphere for people to succeed and intentionally bringing them on the table to make decisions. Then I'm going to add another leg to that too, belonging. So we have diversity, equity, right? Inclusion, belonging. It is also the intentional act of making people feel like we didn't bring you here as a token. You are a part of us. Mm -hmm. You are important and relevant to the work we do. So none of them can stand alone. They We have to incorporate all of them together. And I just completed this tool with the belonging piece. So we have a four-legged balanced stool here. Yeah, I love your inclusion of belonging. I think that that's extremely important. And I think you made a good point in emphasizing that an equitable workplace is it's more of a choice and inclusiveness is it's kind of like an action yes it's, no, it's not a word yeah. it's an action yeah. it's, a, yeah, it's, it's an something action. that you do yeah and yeah not only do they complement one another but they kind of need each other yes they they strengthen the intention behind the movement absolutely now i would like to i'd like to somewhat switch gears a bit and allow you to touch on conflict resolution Generational gaps, cultural differences, and unique perspectives, these are all wonderful byproducts of implementing DEI standards in a workplace, but they can also be common contributors to possible misunderstanding and conflict. Workplace conflict, it is inevitable, and therefore viewing conflict as a roadway to growth and development, while understanding some tools for conflict management can be a vital bridge to a harmonious work environment. So Dr. Umeri, why do you feel that understanding and focusing on conflict resolution is so vital for a smooth running operation? When you bring more than two people together in a room, you have just created a perfect space for conflict. So I'm just trying to say that imagine how we have defined diversity right now imagine bringing all these groups of people in one room do you have that is conflict on steroids right conflict is inevitable what we do with it 
is what matters. So there are, you know, when I teach conflict resolution in class, I always share with my students the different views about conflict, just so that they can position themselves in which view um, they identify with. So we have the interactionist view that says that conflict is good. We have the human relations view that says that conflict is natural. We have the traditional view that says that conflict is bad. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't even engage. So I ask, which is the best? All of it is good. Conflict is good. Conflict can be bad if we do not manage it well, right? And so here I want to say, now that we've established that conflict is good, for growing forward-thinking organizations, they only have to find ways to manage conflict because it will happen. As long as you have people together, conflict will definitely happen. So I will say first, communication is key. One, why do we have conflict? We have conflict because of, you know, um, disagreements, not understanding one another, you know, not agreeing with one another. And so communication is key. But I would also say that there are other things that we can do, right? We have strategies and approaches which we can use when we're dealing with conflict. One of the approaches that I would never encourage is avoidance, which is, you know, one of the strongest um, approaches that people use. Let's just pretend nothing is happening. Let's not just pretend this is not, you know, happening. But we cannot avoid, we cannot, you know, just act like it, it, it's not happening or conflict doesn't happen. I would say that we should find ways to compromise. With conflict resolution, you have to bring all stakeholders together, bring all parties together and say, okay, this is what is on the table. And sometimes it can even be conflict over resources. So it's not conflict in terms of, you know, how we think about conflict, interpersonal people fighting, blowing each other. No, that's not. It can be conflict over scarce resources. So when we bring the issue to the table, for instance, it can be how can we compromise in a way that everybody gets a pie or everybody gets a piece of the pie and we all win, right? Another thing I would say is the importance of negotiation. With conflict, you have to find ways to negotiate. How are we going to negotiate to make sure that the same thing with compromise, how do we leave that negotiation table and nobody's feeling like they were cheated or they didn't get what they want? I have... um. Uh, I have a, a tool that I usually share. It's called the Lean Model Tool. So Lean is spelled L-E-E-N. The L in it is to listen. You know, when you come to a situation of conflict, always listen. That is one of the powerful tools that we are underutilizing in the workplace. Listen to people. Listen to actually listen so that you can understand and not listening to past judgments or listening to respond. You know, sometimes when we listen to people, we're just waiting for them to finish talking so that we can respond. No, in a conflict situation, listening is a skill that we almost improve on. So listen to people. The E is empathize. You know, sometimes you may not fully understand 
what people are going through, especially, you know, as we talk about the context of DEI. You may not come from communities where, you know, you understand what people are actually dealing with or going through, but when you empathize, you listen, you put yourself in their shoes, you may get a glimpse of what they're trying to say, which is why that first part is important because if you don't listen well, there will be no room to empathize with what the person is saying. Then the other E is to explain. Sometimes even when we listen to people, we may not fully grasp their experiences. This gives an opportunity to say, I'm here, can you explain? And ask probing questions just to understand more about what the person is saying. Then the last part of it, which is the N, again, talks about negotiate. Sometimes people will not walk off the table with everything that they are asking for, but you can let them know that, okay, I am willing to negotiate here. I am willing to compromise so that we all leave the table feeling very empowered, like, yes, I got something out of this conflict situation, which would have been bad, but because we have employed this technique or this approach, we leave the table, everybody feeling like they got something and they won. I love the lean tool. It's easy to remember, not only that. <laughs> so before you go into a meeting or, you know, or meet your partner at, out to dinner sometimes, yes. you know, but it's a perfect tool that you can easily memorize and it, it helps find harmonious compromise and negotiation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I'd like to kind of move on into more personal like skill sets. Um, are there any skills that you recommend each of us sharpen to help us assist in becoming better at not only resolving conflict, but making conflict a constructive and valuable part of our workplace? Yeah, um, I, you know, um, I'd mentioned communication and I'm going to talk about, you know, communication skills again. I think that's a powerful tool. You know, when we talk about communication, it's just not how we talk, right? Communication is very broad and all encompassing. So even like the tone of our voices, sometimes it's not what we say, it is how we say it. You know, people can get upset and say, I don't just like the way he talked with me or he talked to me because at some point, maybe the, the inflection of your voice, maybe your voice was like a tone higher than normal or necessary and you know that in itself already you already lost the battle even before the battle started just because of the way you were talking and so in communication i want us to learn that the tone of our voice is important our nonverbal cues they speak louder than our verbal cues so nonverbal cues your body language when you come into a meeting, what is your body language? Do you act like you are not, you don't want to be there? Or do you, um, are you paying attention? You remember when I talked about the lean um, model, I talked about listening. When you listen, I can tell when you're listening to me. When somebody's listening to you, they are not busy looking at their wristwatches, looking out the window, you know, tapping on the table. You know, they're not, they're, they're paying attention. They're looking into your eyes, listening to what you're saying. 
And so you see how these things tie in. The communication skill with the lean model just ties in nicely. It's something we can continue to improve upon. That's why it's called a skill. With communication, we can get better, right? So how do I speak? Um, the inflection in my voice. And for some of us who have, um, you know, accents, Sometimes you, when you speak, when you speak, the accent can make your tone sound stronger than necessary. So learn, you know, be so self-aware that you learn to, you know, tone it down a little bit um, when you talk with people. But we can all continue to grow on, um, grow in these skills. Listen, listen. I talked about how we talk, but again, listening, active listening, is a skill that we have to continue to. Um, to grow in some of us are used to be the one we we're used to being the ones always talking you know in the room and this can be supervisors managers we are used to giving the instructions we're used to giving you know the guidance but now as you learn this conflict management tools be the one who is learning to listen when you feel like talking or interrupting somebody when they're talking, maybe you should pinch yourself, okay? This is not for the textbooks, but you know, like I'm just saying, learn to, you know, like self-control, let the person speak, let people talk, be able to listen without interrupting. And e even when you have questions, you can take notes, allow them talk, then when they finish talking, try and, give them, you know, more like summarize what you think you have heard. Like, if I am understanding you clearly, so that there is no um, interference in the way that the message has been passed across. Like I said, part of conflict is because people misunderstand or uh, misjudge each other. But when you listen, you are able to ask if um, follow up question to say, please let me be sure I got back or I understood what you were trying to say. And you, you'll be amazed how those seemingly small techniques can just help, you know, take away, you know, those um, misconstructions that we usually have when we talk, communicate, or do um, work with our colleagues and other employees. Yeah, absolutely. We I actually just had a this conversation the other day about the importance of a callback in a conversation, yes. repeating something that someone had previously said to show that you were actively listening to them. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's true, you really can't underestimate the tone of your voice and your body language. Yeah, you know, whenever whenever you're speaking to someone, because if you're using a certain tone, it just might make someone insecure enough that they might not share their opinion or speak their truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank you again, Dr. Umeri, for sharing your time with us today and having this conversation. Your insights as well as your lived and shared experience is greatly appreciated and will undoubtedly contribute to the growth and development of every listener today. I would also like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. I hope that each of you got as much out of this as I did. I also hope that you can join us for another episode in the near future. Thanks, everyone. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning into this episode of the EFC Network Podcast, brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. Be sure to stay tuned for future EFC Network podcast episodes.